an arbitrary ruler, always sure that he was right, making Judah great again with military might. He kept himself in power with conniving and with tricks, but corruption and self-dealing made us know the game was fixed. The priests had started challenging his deceitful politics. It's all there in Second Chronicles, chapter 26. Sitting in the sanctuary, fearful for my nation, I had a vision where I saw things, at least in my imagination, flaming, flying angels whose voices shook the place, cries of holy, holy, holy as incense filled the space. And then the strangest thing occurred. I thought I heard God's voice, and the question God was asking seemed to leave me with a choice. Whom can I send? Who'll go for us? Asked this divine decree. And before I thought more carefully, I said, I'll go, send me. Okay, so this is a pretty weird story. You've now sort of heard it twice, and I'll have a little bit more to say about it. It's a story that takes place in the sanctuary of the temple in Jerusalem as worship is going on. And Isaiah hears these songs of praise and he smells the smoke of the incense and the offerings. And he experiences the presence of God in a way he doesn't expect, not even in the temple. He has a vision, and in his vision he sees strange creatures, seraphim, flaming, flying angels, six wings each. Why six wings? Well, they needed two to cover their eyes, since no one can look at God and live. They needed two to cover their feet, which is probably a euphemism for their private parts, if angels have those. And with two wings, well, they needed those to fly around and do their work as messengers. Six wings. And Isaiah hears these flaming, flying angels praising God's glory and God's holiness, saying, holy, holy, holy. It sounds better in Hebrew. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. You can almost hear the sound of their wings as they flop around. Kadosh. Kadosh, Kadosh, say that with me. Kadosh, 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 say it by yourselves. Okay, I just need to know you're here. Now, Kadosh means separated and set aside, removed from anything that's ordinary. But that day, Isaiah experiences God in an immediate and a present way. At our staff meeting this past week, Vicki put it like this. She said, Isaiah is experiencing God's imminent transcendence. And we all said, oh yeah, what's that mean? And Vicki explained, I don't really know. <laughs> imminent transcendence. But in this vision, Isaiah sees God, at least Isaiah sees the hem of God's robe, which fills the whole sanctuary like Meghan Markle's five-meter-long train. And more than that, Isaiah hears God's voice. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I suppose God can call us 
anytime, anywhere. But Isaiah reminds us that sometimes this can happen in church, in worship. Why? Well, maybe it's not because that's when and where God speaks necessarily, but rather that's where and when we might be a little bit more ready to listen. Isaiah experiences the call of God right there in the sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? That's a funny word if you think about it. It's a funny concept. The first definition you find, if you look it up, which I did, is a place of refuge or safety. A place of refuge or safety. I wonder if that's what brought Isaiah to the temple that day. As we learn from scripture, the year Uzziah died was a chaotic and a dangerous time. The priests of the temple, I love this, the priests of the temple had grown so outraged at what was going on politically and socially and economically, the grinding of the poor, the funneling of resources into military expansion, the priests had taken the pretty drastic step of banning the king from the temple, (laughs) of banning the king and the minions from the temple. And so the temple sanctuary had become literally a sanctuary and a political sanctuary, a place of refuge and safety from arbitrary and unjust practices of the king and his minions. The priests also cursed Isaiah with leprosy, but that is a story for another day. I was looking for more information about the meanings, the various meanings of sanctuary, which drove me, of course, to Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge, And there in Wikipedia, I found various meanings for sanctuary. It can refer to political sanctuary, or it can refer to any place of safety, like an animal sanctuary or bird sanctuary. It can refer to a a holy place set apart, a religious space. And under that religious category, as I scroll down with my phone, it, it can refer to a particular room, or just the area right around the altar, could be the sanctuary. Or it could, and then I stopped, because as I scrolled down, there was a photo illustrating the point that any part of the church could be the sanctuary. And that photo was labeled, the rear of the sanctuary of the Church of St. Paul and St. Andrew, in New York City. Okay, well, that was a little freaky. It was a terrible picture, too. I have much better pictures of the space. But it made me wonder if somebody was trying to tell me something. Could the call of God speak through an entry in Wikipedia? Probably not. But still, it troubled me and continues to trouble me. Isaiah Here's the voice of God that day in a very distinct way. Clearer and more specifically than you and I probably do on a daily basis. But God does not say, Isaiah, do this. I want you to, Isaiah, I have known you since you were in your mother's womb and I have selected you to do. No, it's a lot subtler than that, isn't it? It doesn't seem like, Isaiah, like God is talking to Isaiah at all, in fact. 
God is just chatting with the, the seraphim or the heavenly court or something. God asks a question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Early Christian theologians got all excited about God's use of the word us right there. The first person plural. Look, they said, that proves the Trinity. God doesn't exist in static oneness, but in dynamic community. I don't know what that means exactly, but you can ask Vicki after the service. This is clearly a conversation between God and others. Not Isaiah. And Isaiah, what's Isaiah doing? He's listening. Yeah, he's listening. He's eavesdropping. But even though he's just listening, he's just eavesdropping, he hears the need of God, and he responds. And before he knows it, he's completely engaged in this dangerous job of telling the truth, of speaking truth to power, as it were of challenging those of his day who were grinding down the poor, oppressing the stranger, the alien, the immigrant, relying on military might instead of the way of God. And he's holding out hope as he goes, holding out hope as he speaks of a a better way and a, a brighter future, a different kind of way to be. This week I got a call on my cell. Not a call from God, really. It was a call from Ravi Ragbir, the head of the New Sanctuary Movement, a group that reaches out to immigrants who are threatened with deportation and tries to make it possible for families to stay together. I like Ravi, even though over the years he's come up with some strange and inconvenient requests. And this was not an exception. He said, I know your congregation has declared itself a sanctuary church in theory. Would you consider opening your doors to a family from Guatemala whose mom is facing a final deportation? And can you tell me, give me an answer in the next 10 minutes? And well, part of me wanted to say yes. I had this Isaiah-ish moment, right? This, here I am, send me kind of moment. Part of me wanted to offer this sort of sanctuary in the face of of what I've been seeing and many of you have been seeing and experiencing as an arbitrary and mean-spirited victimizing of our immigrant friends and neighbors, blaming them for ills and troubles they have nothing to do with. I don't like that. I feel like I should be doing something about that, in theory. But providing sanctuary in that real and tangible day-to-day way is not something I am sure we can do. It would take a very high level of commitment and a level of planning and implementation. That's not always my strong suit. And there's a lot at stake. A person's life, her future, for one. And so I punted. I'm not proud, but I punted. I said, I don't know, Robbie, I'll have to ask The United Methodist Book of Discipline, which we refer to when convenient, gives considerable latitude and authority to the pastor over the disposition of the church building. What can happen here, who can speak here, who can be here. I know that because I have to teach that. 
But still, I, I deferred. Why did I defer? Because it's a big thing. It's something that's going to involve us all. It's something that would take us all. And if this call from Ravi is anyway a call from God, it should be a call that we as a community consider and think about and answer. And so I've been checking with the trustees. I've been talking with some of you, and I'd be glad to talk with more of you. I've been talking with other clergy whose congregations are engaged in this and have chosen to take this step. I've been checking in with our many space partners to see what they think about it. I've been way more cautious than our friend Isaiah. Because whatever else I am, I am no prophet. Of course, neither was Isaiah. He was just a person in the wrong place at the wrong time, overhearing this conversation that could have had nothing to do with him, but ended up having everything to do with him. So here we are in the temple, in the sanctuary, listening for some voice of God, whether from up here, from the scripture in front of you, from each other, or from God beyond. And so, let's pray about it. Let's be quiet and see if God speaks about it. Let's think about it. Let's learn about it, as I have been praying about it this past week. But in my prayer, as I have thought through things, I've become more and more convinced this is something I personally would like to say yes to. I feel like I would like to respond like Isaiah without too much overthinking or knowing exactly how things would work. And I wonder if we're willing to try this, if we feel called to try this, it's possible that God may equip us for this work of love and justice in the way that God equipped Isaiah. So let's pray. God of Isaiah, God of a booming voice in the sanctuary, blotting out all of the voices, all of the sounds, all of the static that surrounds us. God of Elijah, God of that still, small voice, that voice of quiet stillness that's not in the wind and the rain, the voice that's not in the earthquake or anything shuddering and shattering, but that voice that speaks out of silence. We come to you with whatever we are and whatever we have, and we lay at your feet all things, all things that need to be considered and need to be thought of, knowing that somehow... Sometimes you speak to us, even in church. Amen.